Hello, and welcome to System Mastery, the one-and-done RPG review podcast, specializing in old and out-of-print RPGs. Do you need to know if a book we found on a shelf that you can almost certainly not then go find yourself is any good? Perfect, you're in the right place. This week, we review Dark-er the Leg Ends, an RPG I will charitably describe as having good formatting and certainly a bunch of words on a reasonable number of pages. Plus, there were absolutely no scorpions present in the binding, so it's already at around a D or a D+. We now return to our original network broadcast of System Mastery, already in progress. Okay, so give me two reasons why an adult would enjoy the great taste of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Well, it's a uniform shape, and it's got ridges for maximum tongue grippage. That's true. It does have ridges for maximum tongue grip. I never thought of that. Yeah. It's it's certainly not because of the high sugar viscosity content. No, definitely no. not. No, it's like, it's like sliding the things down your mouth like a bunch of slaves moving a log along a series of sledges or something. Not that. No, no. Never. No. The cinnamon sugar has nothing to do with my enjoyment of cinnamon toast crunch. Yeah, it's it's tertiary to the entire thing at best. At best. Yeah. I like the way it explodes in the little razor shards that bury themselves in the roof of my mouth because I deserve pain. <laughs> oh, but why aren't you just eating Captain Crunch then? That's that's what you do if you really want to just destroy your mouth. Let me ask you a quick one about Captain Crunch. What? What are they? What 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 is that shape? What are we eating in there? I is think uh, treasure chests, nubbins, pillows. <laughs> I think I think it's just. Are they the giblets of his enemies? Maybe maybe it's uh, nipples. Because those like, are Captain Crunch's nipples. Captain Crunch's nipples. Because <laughs> you can tell with, with cinnamon toast crunch, you're eating little toasts. I mean, yeah, they're just squares, but they're almost like little toasts. They're supposed to be little toasts. But with Captain Crunch, it's like well, these are like pillows or something. Yeah, they're just little. Bits. They're just things. Yeah. They're like kibble flavored and shaped. Or shaped. They're not flavored. I don't know what the flavor of Captain yes, Crunch is. Yes, they're kibble flavored. It's, what is the it? new it's Captain Crunch <laughs> Oops All Kibble. <laughs> Oops All Kibble. <laughs> Oops, actually dog food. More bone meal than we usually put in Captain Crunch. <laughs> and that's saying something. <laughs> uh, uh, welcome to System Mastery. My name is Jeff. This is John. Wee. And this week we are making massive diversions to avoid talking about Dark Earth Legends. Oh, Dark Earth Legends! Or, uh, as you pronounce it if you split it up into a bunch of smaller words, Dark-er, the leg ends. It does. It does ends. That is where the leg ends, is at the Dark-er. Yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty sure I remember that from uh, all those nursery rhymes. Yeah, and from those classes you had to go to in the middle school The Dark Earth connected to the leg ends. <laughs> I just remember where the dark place is connected to at the end of the leg from those classes I had to go to in middle school while the girls went to the other class. <laughs> uh, so, uh, this is a, this is a D&D. This is a, this is a book. <laughs> this, is, this is a, definitely a 90s. This kinda, is a 90s D&D heartbreaker. Yeah, absolutely is. It's someone saying, I'm going to beat D&D. 
by making a game that is D&D, but with a bunch of differences based on my own perception about how D&D is crappy. Well, you can 100% tell that the guy who made this was like, alright, so I've been running D&D, but I created my own world because I think Greyhawk is some bullshit, which granted, it is. Fair enough. There's only a couple of really good campaign settings for D&D. But he was like, alright, so I've made uh, a bunch of sweeping changes, there are all these continents and places, and they're all this and that. And dwarves are dwarves, but they're different or dwarves. Well, it's just like every other one of these heartbreakers. He found the grit knob and he cranked it till it broke off. Because <laughs> that's that's generally your basic person who has the inclination to write a D&D alike always is mad at how the D&D books are not verisimilitudinous enough to real life. Oh yeah, that or it's like, oh man, elves are way too not whatever I think elves should be. So either they are too dainty or not dainty enough. Right, so that's that's what you've got here. Uh, it's definitely a 90s. It's a soft cover. It's got some real crappy hatch, uh, cross-hatch style art all the way throughout. Oh, yeah. The art's definitely worth a look. Yeah, definitely look at that for the same picture appearing five times. It's a picture of an, what are they called, anger? Uh, of, a, of an, uh, I think that's just a ghoul. A gull. A gull. Right. Yeah, that's a G-H-U-L gull. Not gull. Or... It's it's not a gull ducat. No, or a seagull ducat. <laughs> I do see gull ducat. Seagull ducat run. Jonathan Livingston seagull ducat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So yeah, that's that's kind of a, a race of big ogrey guys. Yeah, that big, the game. It's sort of like if orcs were bigger. Yeah, and that's basically all you got to them. The, the weird thing about this book is the level to which the world is realized in it. Like, it's, the, the guy, it's it's more campaign setting than D and, than uh, RPG. Yeah, the, the general rules, you still have pretty much the same stats. He changed a couple of the names, so you have, like, person instead of charisma. Yeah. You. And then there's, there's, there's five of them you roll for. And those are, like, strength, agility, person, intellect, and willpower. And then there's a sixth one that you don't roll for, and that's faith. And your faith, uh, well, I mean, you gotta have it. Would you say that you gotta have faith? I would. I would say that you gotta have faith. Yeah, okay, faith. that's fair enough, yeah. Faith. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and actually the book, you have to have faith, because you can start as either good or evil or neutral, but if you're neutral, you're not actually neutral. Fuck you, if you do anything nice or bad, you immediately become good or evil. It's definitely, it's one of those worlds where faith is like a defect or, or an, a known codified thing it's measurable like the people in the world can look at you and go oh you're about a faith five aren't you yeah no this is definitely some scientology you have reached thetan level seven on this yeah it's it's got a lot of that the rest of the stats the five basic stats you roll for by rolling 2d6 plus four yeah so you get a Slightly higher than average baseline of very what you're slightly stat. higher. The your yeah. average stat is a, is an eleven instead of a ten point five. Yeah, so he just gives you one of your dice will instead of being random is just always a four. Yeah, but you're still essentially doing a three d six line. Except you can never get an eighteen, and you can never get a three. So there you go. So everyone's more normal. It's everyone's in the middle. Yeah. So the highest you can get is a sixteen. And that tends to be, there are little break points for like, if you've got a 10 to 12, you get plus one, and then so on and so on. And usually it's like 16 to 19, so the best you could hope for is to start at one of those break points. Don't worry about it too much, because all the races give you little bonuses and, and maximums and stuff as well. 
Let's talk a bit about the races of Dark Earth legends. Yeah, so Dark Earth has pretty much all of your standard fantasy. So you've got your humans, and of course humans are the only ones that get divided up into the different countries and nations they're from, Mm -hmm. whereas every other race is just, I don't know, you're that race, who cares? Yeah, you're in... You've got one city, maybe. I really can't remember the name, the exact name of the big guys. I'm going to have to look that up while we're talking. The the big guys are the Angles. Angle, thank you. Yeah, Yeah, so the, the, you have the Gulls, and then you have their slightly smaller, more civilized Angles, and the Angle Horde is uh, definitely a concern for many people. Most of my Angles aren't very civilized. They're mostly just kind of drunk, and they want to talk to me about libertarianism. <laughs> I don't know if you get that, too. Yeah, every time I go home for Thanksgiving, yeah. and my Angles always talking about, yeah, they, oh, bummer. Yeah, they corner you, and they call them, like, oh, bummer or something. Or, or something worse. <laughs> yeah, those guys. This year they were all crowing about how the Republicans took the thing. Or <laughs> they took the thing. Yeah, they you know, stole the goblet the, of fire. They stole the <laughs> idol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man, that'd make politics so much better. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you you got elected by your name out of a cup. Yeah. And then your your only order of business is, it, it, during your uh, your stint as mayor is to, like, obtain the icon of a common from the from the nearby dungeon. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, you've got, uh, you've got your big, giant, burly mans, which are the Angles. Then you got some dwarvies. You got dwarves, and dwarves are dwarves. They live in mountain cities, they've got beards, they're all super grumpy. Yeah, they come in two flavors. A lot of things in the book come in two or more flavors. So dwarves come in dwarven dune, which is, like, good dwarves, kind of, and then Common Dwarf, which is like their angrier, shittier friends. <laughs> it's kind of what the two of them are. Like, Dwarven Dune get to be special classes that other things can't be and always have to be good guys. And and uh, in a common theme for the book, they have to give a lot of their money away. Uh, where Common Dwarves are just grumpy, douchey shitholes. Dwarves, dwarves in this book have barbarian berserker rage. Yeah, that's where the barbarian... Because there aren't really classes in this book, but they yeah. gave some of the class ideas to certain things. Yeah, it's weird. But when we get to classes, we're going to... This book's a real weird about that, but okay. Yeah. Then there's there's elves, and don't you worry about it, D&D Heartbreaker fans. There's like eight fucking kinds of elves. And of course, uh, because he has to distance himself from that, you have the Elevari instead of just elves. Yeah, and the Druin instead of the Drow. Yeah, so good job, bro. You kind of fucked up your syllables a little, and now it's totally unique. <laughs> that happens so much in this book. Oh, yeah. No, everything is just, what is this? It's a, a, it's a dwar- Dwarven Dune. What about just Dwarf? No, Dwarven Dune. What about uh, Elf? Elevari. What about Ogre? Augrist. Uh, what about Mongols? Ongols. What about Moors? More M O H R. Yeah, so they're J Moors. Co- comedians that do a passable walking. Yeah, that's, that's what they are. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I mean, that's that's being mean. He does a really good walking. <laughs> uh, Walking's hard to do. Yeah, no, he's a passable comedian that does a good walking. That's exactly. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, the uh, so you've got the Elevari or whatever, and the Druine, and the Half Elf, and the Harrow Elf. Harrowells, by the way, are druine that have decided to be good guys, except that the book is so mean that they can't. Oh, yeah. Now, no, you can you can tell that the guy was like, you know what I hate? It's people who play fucking the drow, but you're a good guy. Well, if you want to be the drow that's a good guy, then you can go 
fuck yourself. Yeah, so basically you get elf stats, but you're way worse. One of your arms or legs is withered to the point of uselessness. You have to have a bunch of scars all over you that make it so people hate you. And uh, you lose your elven farsight ability in exchange for the ability to see in the dark. Yep, there uh, you go. And also you get less health, hit points. You get minus three life points. Yeah, you are so. just a worse version of either the Druin or the Elevari. Your choice. You're just crap. Yeah. <laughs> You're just a bad version of either of them. And yeah. there you go. That's what those are. So you got all kinds of elves, most of which are pretty bad. And then the only interesting new race is the... Oh, and no gnomes, no hobbits. No. Uh, basically, you get kind of kind of that as a... Uh, uh, like monster race, you the kobold in this is essentially just sort of a shitty gnome, like a swerfneblin. Swerfneblin, you know those are like the underground you, gnomes. You know, surf nuggets, <laughs> surf nublins, surf nublins. That's what those things are from now on. Surf nublins. Yeah, ah, surf nublins. I feel racist saying that. I can't tell why. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, all of our gnome and listeners are going to be real pissed off about that, or someone. I don't know. So yeah, uh, there's basically, those are the, the five core races you're supposed to play as, are humans, dwarves, elves, uh, shitty, hunched-over crap elves, and uh, and Ongul, which are great big burly dudes. Yeah. And then the uh, the half-elves. Oh yeah, half-elves, yeah, yeah, another oh, yeah. elf. And yeah. then they, there's three more races that they include as examples of how to build your own monster race, Yeah, which include uh, the dark elves. Yeah, the druine, the drow are sort of their yeah. own, like, maybe you make an evil race. And then there's like a werewolf. Yeah, if you really want to be Wolfman, yeah. go for it. I don't even remember those. I, I kind of glossed over because eh. it's they're mostly just examples of how how easy it is to build races in this. Yeah, this book really is all about the build your own anything. Yeah, a lot of it's just do that yourself. What are you asking me for? Type writing, and it's weird because a lot of it is peppered with these kind of obviously type exclusions. Like we were just talking about this with the spell descriptor, descriptor with the. Uh, if you want to create a spell that specifically creates arrows that do damage only to dragons, then you need to hold some things in your hands when you cast the spell to serve as focuses. If you are holding an arrowhead, you get a plus two, and if you are holding a piece of charcoal, you get a plus one. That's because an arrowhead is extremely essential to the purpose of an arrow, but charcoal would only be useful for a plus two if it was currently on fire. Obviously. Obviously. Like, where are you coming? What, what is what? Where's that coming from? Yeah, all of the guidelines in this are like, here's an example, and then you should take it from there. And you're like, what? What What are you talking about? Like, <sighs> obviously, all snakes would do this. Yeah. Wait, it, what, what? No. He he just sort of went, well, look, I gave you this entire setting. What more do you want from me? Right. Come on. Yeah. Oh, and the Jay Moores, that, that that let's get right into this. The human races are divided up into the type that have slaves and the types that don't. They live in various parts of the world, and uh, I just want you to know that the ones that have slaves and are described as generally evil and have curses on them and live in the shittier parts of the world, they're all dark-skinned ones. Well, yeah, obviously. It's yeah. like the drow. Yeah. As soon, as soon as you become dark-skinned, that means you're evil. Welcome to fantasy. Like, if you're from Ilhrathi, which is like the good guy planet, then you're like from Fantasy Castle Town, and you get to wear one of those hats that has chainmail coming out from the sides of it, and you have a big burly mustache, and your primary problem is obtaining mead. <laughs> but but if you're from uh, from Moor or whatever, then you're from a slave-owning community, and your skin is dark because of a curse that's been laid on you. And uh, that's just the way that the book is written. Yeah, you're probably some sort of warlock. Yeah, there's a lot of that. So, uh, let's... It's kind of Tolkienian. 
yeah. in, in that, where it's... In that it's super racist? Kind of. <laughs> oh, oh, this was the, the real thing. If you're from Ilrathi, you hail from Ilrathi. If you're from Moore, you are aboriginal to Moore. That's, yeah. that's the That's the words that they use in the book. Thanks, book. Thank you. Thank you for throwing aboriginal in there. We love it. Uh, You're also real niggardly. <laughs> <sighs> Fucking book. Okay. So the, uh, after you've gotten your stats and your race, whatever you figured out you want to do. You can go pick from the variety of different types of classes and guilds and cults and such. So you've got three options. You can either be an actual, like, supported racial thing. Yeah, they're called, like, racial careers. Yeah, so it's, like, I'm part of the dwarf uh, elite, or I'm part of the elf elite, or what have you. Yeah, you have, uh, you know, a CPA accountant, or NBA <laughs> player. Yeah, you know, yeah, racial you cl- know. racial classes. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, if you don't want to do that, if you want something slightly more generic, you can just be part of some guild, so you're like... I'm in the Merchant's Guild, or the Adventurer's Party, or the Shit's Hole. There's also a a section of just kind of generic career-type things. So you can be like, oh, I am a living god of Ilrathi. Which is a racial one. Racial one. Or uh, I am whatever the women one. The one where your race is women. You're... It's one of the, like, they're the like death assassins. skulls. Death masks. Or, yeah, the, death skulls. Or yeah, death the, deathers. The the death dealers. Yeah. The, the skull facers. Yeah. The, the dark below darkness. <laughs> the shadow dark. The Welcome to the dark shadow dark. I uh, love dark shadows. But no, uh, one, of, one of... So there's these, like, eight classes that you have to be a specific race to join. So there's, like, an elf paladin one, a dwarf paladin one, uh, a half-elf warlock one, um, and then there's... One of them is the Death Marks, which is assassins, and their race of choice is uh, ladies. Yeah, yeah. Your your race is female. <laughs> yeah, your your race is female, which is great because you're fighting against men mostly. Yeah. the The whole description of it is essentially like if you join this, it's because you hate the patriarchy and you want to bring it down. Uh, probably you were. Assaulted at some point, and now you take contracts to kill men. Hooray! Yeah. That's yeah. your entire class. Yeah, I mean, you're you're missing out on the powers they get to grow their armpit hair real long. And <laughs> uh... Uh, anyway, uh, no, the the so there's eight classes like that. That they they give you a set list of powers, a set list of exact skills, and a bunch of strictures. So, like for example, if you're a dwarven dune, a uh, dark walk, or yeah, I think it's dark walker. Uh, that's I think that's one of the things you become if you're a dwarven dune is you eventually get to the rank. The of... dwarven dune are basically dwarves version of Game of Thrones watchers on the wall. They're like super stoic good guy dwarves that hang out in one castle all the time and defend it. Yeah, and they def- just hate evil so much. Yeah, so that's what those are. Every one of these racial classes, and I think there's eight, uh, have to tithe like all their money all the time. Yeah, like I think they all started like you give ninety percent of your earnings to your company. Yeah, the only one that I think doesn't even care about that is the you're a living god one. Oh, yeah. And that's because you just walk around to Ilrathi being like, hey, I'm a god, you should do everything for me. And everyone goes, well, yeah, obviously, you're a god. And then God spake that you should give me a loaf of bread. <laughs> okay, here you go. Yes, get God a sourdough, Jack. <laughs> no tomatoes! God hates tomatoes! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, then you've got your your guilds, your and various generic ones. You get the generic career classes, which are things like adventurer, mercenary, performer, yeah. wizard. 
and those get they, all they are. And this is real weird to come to is like if you look at mercenary or uh, lore master for example, lore master is just a list of skills. Yep, it's just things you have to spend your skill points on. You get X number of learn points, which I think is like half of your intellect or something. It's uh, you get it's a goes up with your rank of intellect. So like yeah, that's right. ten to twelve, you'll get three points and so on and so on. So then you look at you, you say I want to be a lore master. So you go okay, I got four learn points. Uh, a lore master has this list of skills. You must select four skills from this list. Any other skills you can select after you've spent at least four. So you look down the list and you go, okay, well, as a lore master, I'm going to take acrobatics, knowledge bats, <laughs> uh, knowledge heights, and uh, uh, communism. And then if I have any extra, I can take something like sword use. Yeah, yeah. but you don't. Nope. That's it's unlikely. The... Uh... Most of the skill lists for things, the way it's worded is sort of weird, because it says you can't, like, put points into other things until you've spent points on whatever your skill list is. And anytime you have a skill list, which several of them have, which is longer than, say, five, mm -hmm. uh, means you can never spend your points on anything but these ever. Right. So there you go. That's what those are. And that's, I'm not joking, that's all they are. Like, Loremaster is literally a little description about what Loremasters are, and then their skill list. Yeah, so, some of the uh, the guild ones have, like, maybe you'll raise in ranks. So if you're like, I'm a mercenary, occasionally I'll be, like, a merc captain yeah, there's or a, something. There's a section of careers, and then immediately following that is a section of guilds. And guilds are things like, oh, I'm a crossed blade. It's a mercenary faction. I have to have a tattoo of crossed blades on me, and uh, I and I have to do specific jobs for them sometimes. So that's that's the second option for character creation. The third option is to just do whatever the fuck you want. Yep, there's uh, no restrictions. You just spend your points on whatever the fuck you want to spend your points on. You're not uh, beholden to anyone, but you don't get any special bonuses. So you're just like, what are you? I'm a dude! So, effectively, Loremaster gives you no special bonuses. It just gives you skills you have to pick. And nothing else. There's no benefit for doing that. So there's no reason, if you're going to play most of the careers in the game, to not take that third option and just build whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, unless there is some specific weird power, because a lot of the racial ones do give you some weird racial power. Oh, they power. all do, yeah. So so it's basically either choose a racial power, a racial class, or choose this Freeman thing, because it lets you play any one of the other careers in the book without any restrictions at all. Yeah, the the only thing is you won't have a guild. So Except like, you can join whatever. one. All the, all the guilds have rules for how people who don't start as members of them can join them. And most of their joining requirements are ask to join. Huh. Uh, yeah, so the, the character creation process already sort of begins to break down right there. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even gotten into how you then create the character off of that. Because picking your, like, it is technically a class, but it doesn't give you this is what you spend things on. It just tells you this is sort of what you would have to spend things on first. Mm -hmm. And there's no spell lists in this. No, there's a whole section on spellcasting, but uh, it's all just, like, uh, guidelines for creating spells. So there's a huge section of what, what guidelines for creating spells look like. But again, written in that sort of vague term uh, tone that implies that everything they're saying is obvious and why are they even telling you. Yeah, and it's got just a billion different modifiers that they have as rules for stuff. So it's like, all right, what's the duration of the spell? What's the target of the spell? 
Uh, how hard is it to cast this spell? How long does the spell last? What, does it do damage? Does it control things? Does it involve time? Does it involve this or that? Yeah. There's, there's just a jillion little modifiers. There's one that I saw that was like, just on this big list of tables that makes it harder to cast spells. One of the effects was Mojo. It just said Mojo, minus two BSP or whatever the fuck, like uh, their, their, their chart is for difficulty of spells. I did never find the word mojo anywhere else in the book. I don't know what it does. I, I know nothing about it. I, it's, <laughs> I have to assume that was probably in an earlier edition when he was writing this, and he just never bothered to find it. Is it harder from the, for the character Mojo from the X-Men franchise to create it, spells? It, it is so much harder for Mojo Jojo to cast a spell. <laughs> <laughs> or Mojo Nixon. Mojo Nixon? Yeah, Mojo Nixon. He's, he's the lead singer of a, his own band named after himself. Do you not know about that? No. Oh, wow. Okay, well, anyway... Uh, okay, so anyway. You wow, do, way, to, way to put your hipster glasses on. He's really, he's way older than hipster stuff. <laughs> it's not like I'm talking about the lead singer of Vampire Weekend or something. Yeah, but people know what Vampire Weekend is, you fucking hipster. People know what Mojo Nixon is, too. I'm just surprised you got the, well, no, of course you know the Mojo from X-Men. What am I talking about? <laughs> he's on your shirt right now. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally on me right now. Ah, I have an idea for a TV show. Get me Morph. <laughs> My idea is to have X-Men fight. Whee! That's always your idea, Mojo. God damn it. How did you rise up in the world of TV programming? <laughs> My universe is stupid. Well, I mean, actually, yes, canonically it is. <laughs> okay, so anyway, we don't know what Mojo does. Yeah. But, but there's, the whole magic section is, it, all the room that you could have, that they take up, that they could have been, like, you know, magic missile and spells and so on, is instead all this just kind of generic catalysts and... Like um, base elements and stability reaction guides and stuff for oh. writing your very own spells. And the thing is, because it has just a jillion little modifiers, and when I say that, I mean there is a page that lists all of the like pluses and minuses when you're casting a spell, and it is a full page of just this, 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 minus one, minus two, minus three, minus ten, slash minus one, minus this, plus three, minus two. And it goes on forever. And then not only is there the page listing that, then there are just pages and pages where they describe each one. Here it is. So it's not enough to just say that, like, something will do, like, an illusion. They then have to describe each version of an illusion and how it does that uh, in, like, a little paragraph. So you end up with almost as many pages dedicated to trying to make your own spells as if they had just been, here's a list of spells. Yep, that's absolutely true. Illusions have, like, eight things that could possibly make your spell harder to cast. And some of them include cute little, uh, like, modifier, like, calculations. I don't really know what they're supposed, you're supposed to do with them. So, for example, time control travel includes uh, its difficulty of minus ten plus time divided by three. Yep. There you go. I don't I don't know what that means, but great. Is that the, the year you'd like to travel to divided by three? So if you wanted to go to, like... 1968 to see something interesting. You have to divide that by 3 and then add 10 minus 10 to that to get to your total <laughs> difficulty modifier for the spell. Or is it the amount of time you wish to travel relatively is in if you want to go 4 hours into the past, you divide that by 3 or is it the amount of mojo you have? <laughs> uh, yeah, so the uh, the spells are and among the spell things, there are also the little sample spells. And they'll be like, yeah, here's a spell that you could cast. It's this. But then they don't really tell you how they arrived at a lot of things. It'll just say, like, 
here's what the actual, like, casting difficulty would be. Okay, well, how did you arrive at that? Uh, I don't know. Orinar's Nose of the Wolf. Its casting difficulty is minus four. It drains three willpower points plus one per additional day. Range is self, target is one, area is none, duration is day, and faith is neutral. It doesn't have a faith component. Okay. This bodily control spell gives the caster the ability to increase his sense of smell to be as good as a wolf's. He can then smell enemies on the wind, track fresh scents, etc. <laughs> etc. And, and what does this do mechanically? This spell will last one day plus one day for every additional point of willpower. No, no, but, no, but mechanically, what does, what does smelling like a wolf do for me? Uh, uh, other wolves will try to have sex with you. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you smell so much like a wolf. Yeah, yeah, I, I got it. You I get, got, I got you get it. it. I got you, what you put down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this book is real bad at telling you what shit does mechanically. Yeah, there's, uh, again, th- th- when we go back to the, uh, the Harrow Elves, Harrow Elves are bad elves that decide not to be bad anymore. And so, as a punishment, the god of bad elves, Mordreg, uh, punishes them. He lashes them a bunch and ruins their face with scars, and he withers one of their body parts, a hand, a leg, an arm, or a foot. And then that's a whole section that they get. They get a withered hand, arm, leg, or foot. Now, of course, you'd, you'd assume that having a withered leg would have some kind of mechanical disadvantages, but no, it does not. It's just a little description that says you have a withered leg. Yeah, no, I could roll up a dude, have a 16 agility and a withered leg, and it would not matter even a little bit. No, it's just flavor. It's weird. It, again, uh, the Harrow Elves are terrible. They, they are everything about an elf with a couple of penalties strapped onto it. Yeah. And then right next to that on the same page is this little descriptor about how to make your players happy. Because there's these boxes in the book that are kind of, you know, uh, for the DM. Yeah, well, there's a bunch of Dark Earth Mastery sections. Right, Dark Earth Mastery. And the Dark Earth Mastery sections are so friendly. They're, no, it's so weird. All of the asides in this book are like, hey, man. Before you make a character, you should think up what it wants to be instead of just deciding, you know, what powers you want. Then you'll have a better time and everyone at the table can, you know, play a character instead of just a weapon and it'll be a good time for everyone. You'll be amazed how much more fun you have. If your players ask you something, you should never just say no. Instead, think about what it is they're asking. Come up with an alternative, that way everyone can have fun. And then you look outside the little black-bordered section of, of how to play the game and it's like, your character dies in two rounds unless anyone helps him, in which case he dies in three rounds. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I, I feel like the guy writing it knew, like, okay, yeah, I really want my players to have, you know, a good time. I want to make a good game. I understand that there are weaknesses within the whole D&D thing where, uh, it's adversarial. Like, he understood that problem mm-hmm. of the adversarial DM. And then just continued making a system that didn't give a fuck about that. Right. Well, he has the same problem that a lot of people have with D&D, is that they look at it, and they see a bunch of abstractions, and the abstractions piss them off. Because they're like, well, it doesn't make any sense. People swing swords way faster than that. I need to write a system that's actually granular to how fast people swing swords. And then they realize, you know, they don't realize it, because they've written a great book and they're very proud of themselves, but everyone else is like, this sucks. I don't want to model every single sword swing. I want to model the ones that matter. Yeah. That way I can describe an interesting, fun combat. Instead of this, where combat rounds are like three seconds long, and they have six a- a- actions in them, and, and you have to roll initiative, and then you'll get a lot of attacks while other people are just standing there. But a lot of your attacks you're going to have to use to parry other attacks. Yeah, the uh, and the, the weird thing is the book 
Your weapons don't have a different damage based on, like, weapon type. So you don't have, like, a list of a broadsword does 1d8, a this does 1d6. Instead, you have how heavy is your weapon or armor? Mm -hmm. And what is your strength? So if it's really hard for you to pick up and swing a weapon around, then it's harder for you to do stuff. So you're like, all right, if it's super heavy for you, then you're like minus two to try and do anything. And you can't, like, if it's super heavy, you can't even swing a sword. But if it's just heavy, then you get, like, a big negative to hit, and you can't parry. And there's all of this stuff based on weight. And it's weird because the penalty for weapon weight is way worse than armor weight. So if your weapon is super heavy, you're like, you just can't use this, fuck you. But if your armor is super heavy, it's like, oh, you're... Mobility is lowered. You're like, okay, but am I also ridiculously well protected? Oh yeah. So does this matter at all? No. No. You should you just do this. Out. Yeah, it's it's very unusual. Uh there are three combat steps. Or no, it's 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 uh there are up to three potential combat steps. So if you for example go quite quickly, you might be able to make three attacks during the combat round if someone else is one. Uh but during that attack where they attack you once, you're probably gonna want to try and parry it so because you don't really have a static defense. You have parry and dodge chances, but you have to use your attack to use them. Yeah. It's it's weird. It's it's a weird system. Uh, it's not terrible. It's just, like I was saying before, it's one of those issues where people look at D&D and go, well, this doesn't make any sense. It's too abstract. We need to fix the problem of how uh, how fast fighters actually swing their weapons around. No, you don't. That's not what that is. It's it's just like how hit points don't measure exactly how much meat you can have knocked off you. It's, yeah. it's, it's an abstract for when you fall down and, and, uh, a combat round is an abstraction for how much you want to spend time describing jumping on furniture and <laughs> whipping swords towards chandeliers. Yeah. The, uh, the system is, I mean, it's your standard D- roll a d20, add your modifiers. Yes. Uh, the, the main problem I've seen with most of it is, and it's not, Terrible. I mean, again, you're coming from a basic roll of d20, you've got a few modifiers, so because he's cribbing heavily from established material, it's not exactly like you're going to fuck it up terribly. Uh, the only big issues I've seen is it gets real difficult to hit things depending on what's going on. Absolutely, so yeah. And that's, you're, you're going to have a lot of flailing fights. A lot of too many modifiers in, the, in that makes you feel like your character's kind of a wuss. Because, you know, you get all these kind of, it's slightly windy, you're standing in an incline, there's a boat near you. Your your sword's kind of heavy, yeah. your arm hurts, you're hungry. A horse neighed. <laughs> That's the kind of thing where, you know, you don't play D&D to play as a shit peasant that cannot pick up a sword. You want to play as a cool hero who's running around and killing dragons and stuff. Which is always the problem with the verisimilitude crowd, is they're like, oh, but a real person, I'm like, you're not playing a real person, shut the fuck up. Exactly, so that's, you know, you can just gloss over all these dumb penalties. Your character should be pretty adept at standing on a boat and a horse can neigh nearby and he will be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. If he had a heavy breakfast, he shouldn't be weighed down by it. Yeah. So, anyway, that there's a lot of that in here. Um, and it's uh, the same sort of thing with... Uh, I mean, we already kind of talked about the spells to death, but creating a spell, there are so many penalties mm-hmm. for what you're doing that unless you have invested... All of your points forever into the... Because spellcasting isn't a thing you get by being a wizard class. You just... It's a skill. Yeah, you can pick it up. So I put points into cast spell, and now I have points in that that I can use 
to create my own spells because unless someone just gives me a scroll of cast some spell, all spells are made by the caster. Right. It's vaguely fancy and beyond that. You have spell memorization and a spell book that contains spells you can memorize. And then uh, you've got your uh, mix of willpower points yeah. so you can... You don't run out of spells as soon as you cast them, but you can still only know X amount of spells. Yeah, so there's it's a mix it's of... It's sort of a sorcerer-ish. It's, with, it's a mix. It's spell points, and it's like Riff's Wizard. It's it's it, a mix between spells you know that day from your book, and then the amount of times you can cast them, which is based on a power point system. Yeah. Uh, but then, if you look at the, I want to cast a spell, it's like, alright, even just a basic spell of... All right, I want to cast a fireball. Smell like a wolf. No, just like a standard fireball that does, like, D6s of damage. It's got a decent range, and it doesn't take super long to cast. It's already looking at, like, oh, you've got, like, a minus 15 to learn this. All right, so what is the general bonus I would have? Well, you're probably at, like, a plus 4 or 5. So roll a D20, minus 11. And see if you get a 14 or above. Wait, what? Yeah, that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, it it's so horrible trying to do anything that isn't just basic combat. This isn't this isn't the first time that we've discussed this exact problem in role playing games before. Yeah. If you make stuff too hard and flaily, then your players are going to lose investment in the game. Well, it just means that a lot of the time they're all going to go down the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Because if you're looking at the D&D system, you go, oh man, wizards are way too powerful, they get to just do whatever. Here's a, like, point-by system so that wizards have to go through all of these hoops and shenanigans and then make your own spells. And if you're trying to make a spell that's ridiculously powerful, then the gating mechanic is you probably won't be able to learn it. And you're like, okay, great. But that means anyone who looks at the book and goes, alright, I could put four points into sword mastery... And get a plus four to hit a guy with a sword. Or I could put four points into casting spells and sit around with my thumb up my ass not being able to do anything. Yeah. Oh, I guess I'll swing a sword. I mean, granted, that giant table of things you can do with spells would imply that you can basically do anything a wizard's spell could do from D&D. But the difficulty of learning them is, like, prohibitive. Oh, yeah. So and Learning something like, oh, I'm going to learn, like, time stop. What's that? Oh, you're minus, like, 30 to learn this. You'd have to be playing this game for years and years before you had the chance to. And the problem is, it has that, like, learning time mechanic where you yeah. like, all right, you've spent six months and 7,000 gold pieces. Make a d20 roll. Oh, you rolled low. All of that is gone. You did nothing. Yeah, that's always a problem. So, uh, okay, there's a few more things I really want to talk about in this. One of them is faith scores and the alignment system of the game. Yeah, so you've got faith and sort of an alignment based on faith, or faith based on alignment, Something. basically. So there's no lawful, but everything else from D&D is there. So you've got good, evil, uh, chaotic, and neutral, but you don't have the uh, the grid. So it's just you're good, or you're evil, or you're chaotic, or you're neutral, the book makes a big deal of pointing out, you can play a neutral character in this game, and then immediately subverts that by making it so if you do anything, it will move you towards good or evil. Yeah, so no matter what you do, if you do something selfless, you're going to immediately become good. If you're a huge dickwad, you're evil. And if you do something selfish, you're chaotic. Which, again, fucking that's, chaotic that's does so not annoying. mean selfish. Yeah, they, they have chaotic in here as selfish. You only do things out of your own self-interest. That's not what chaotic means. That is selfish. Yeah. 
No, it's like, oh, well, you'd be just as likely to do something good as something evil if it would benefit you. And like, well, that's not chaos. That's being self-interested. Yeah, if it does something to benefit you. If it doesn't do something to benefit you, then it's truly chaotic, but it's also kind of nihilist. It's just sort of, what are, you, what are you doing? I don't know, whatever. At that point, you don't have a playable character. Yeah, which is basically what the old D&D chaotic alignment uh, of, What are you, chaotic edition, neutral? I'm a huge dickbag. Second edition ruined chaotic neutral for everyone forever. Yep. That's what it did, because it had that stupid description. Only in second edition, it was like, this character is as likely to jump off a bridge as cross it. It's like, don't don't say that. Don't. Why would you say Now uh, every player ever is going to want to play that so they can play the monkey cheese character. Oh, yeah. Here, here's monkey cheese the ninja. He yeah. is going to do whatever he wants. He's going to jump out and go, woogity boogity, and then he's going to take his pants off, and then maybe he'll throw a ninja star at a friend. Yeah, that's it. By third edition, they realized that, and they corrected it to be chaotic neutral is roughly selfish and self-interested and, and uh, you know, vaguely unpredictable in terms of combat style. Yay. But second edition is what's stuck in everyone's head. Chaotic neutral is the fun alignment because it means you just get to do whatever and steal your friend's stuff. Yep. So this book doesn't, this book has chaos, which is chaotic neutral kind of. It's, do whatever as long as it benefits you. Yep. And then good and evil. And here's the reason I want to talk about them. This book has determinism or what are we, a, an absolute certainty that gods are real. Yeah. Like so like like most fantasy settings, gods are real. People see them. When you pray to them, they can answer you. Right. You can still be an atheist, which is at this point a very difficult proposition. Huh. It's like I don't believe in gods. There's one. Oh. I don't don't I don't believe that. He's just wearing a fancy suit. <laughs> Because that's a, but there's also uh, absolute values to the to the religion. If you if you worship Yanume or you're good, you go to heaven. If you're evil, you go to hell. You know this. It's not it's not like real world where you got to have some faith and and you know kind of. Oh, I believe I'll go to heaven when I die, or I believe you'll go to hell when 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 you die. No, it it is straight up. You go to the paradisical plane or the underdark. Yeah. Uh, so. With that kind of absolute known value, how does a good evil dichotomy religion work? How do you go like, well, I'm evil because uh, what I want to do is spend eternity being tormented by demons. That's Yeah, I mean, at least in D&D, you still sort of had that with the planes. You're like, yeah, if you're a good guy, you go to some nice plane. If you're a bad guy, you turn into a fucking demon and go into a blood war. Yeah, but at least you get to go into a blood war. I mean, that's a thing. That's a thing you can do. You can be like, well, I'm evil, so of course my, my goal in life is to become a demon and fuck up other demons and maybe even get to, to mess with humans at some point. That's that's kind of what I want. In this, it's, oh, no, you, you're upside down in a pit of shit and you know, <laughs> you, there's spikes on your feet. The, the, that's, yeah, yeah, the end. Like, what? It just doesn't make any sense. No, well, most settings where they end up deciding, yes, there is gods that are known and there are like the afterlifes that are known you always go why would anyone worship the bad guy and it happens in any fantasy setting too where you're like oh yeah there's some evil god and everyone knows he wants to undo creation and make everyone into little shit balls and you're like why does he have a cult what guy is like hey you should worship this dude that hates you and wants to murder you yeah like you are a means to an end i i I don't I, I picture gods in fantasy settings as being like job fairs. <laughs> like, you know, you walk in and there's 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 the good guy god. He's like, I'm Iluvatar. I'm the god of light and justice. If you worship me, then I'll, I'll rarely answer your prayers. But when you die, you get to go to the happy hunting grounds. And it'll be really fun. Also, no sex. Oh, well, next. <laughs> but then you go to the other guy and he's like, I'm the god of evil. Well, will you give me power if I worship you? No, you'll go to hell. I'm like, Oh, well... 
I don't want to go to hell. Too bad. That's what happens. I'm not even lying about it. You will go to hell and die, and it will be terrible, and you'll get raped to death forever. Great. Okay. Well, what's what are the benefits? Oh, there aren't any. I'm I'm an evil god. I'm evil. If you're evil, you automatically are also evil like me, and when you die, it's terrible. Yep. Uh, which means that basically everyone on the planet should be doing their goddamnedest to be good at all times. Yeah. I mean, this is like it's the Santa principle taken to the logical conclusion. Yeah. yeah you need to weird. be good for goodness sake. Yeah, it's funny because I, I picture deeply religious people listening to us right now and being like, well, that's well, the way it is, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, the other thing I really wanted to talk about before I ran out of time is this book's monsters. Yeah. It's got so it's got a little bestiary section in the back, and it's a good one. I'm gonna give it. This these people knew they were only gonna get one book out. Yeah, and so, uh, you know while while we're talking about the faith in the the monster section, it also has the the gods mm, yeah, deity yeah. section, which is my least favorite thing as well. From there is so Yanume or whatever the god of good Yunume. is the god of good. Yeah, and it all of the other gods and deities and whatnot are like. He or she presides over Ma and has X level of power and, you know, maybe they can be dealt with and maybe you can, like, get some sort of favor from them. And then Yanumi is like, uh, this god is pure energy being of all good and power and cannot be stopped and makes other gods look like little bitty babies and can do whatever it wants and only helps good people to maintain balance. You're like, okay fine, then why aren't you a neutral god if all you care about is balance? Because if you're ridiculously all-powerful, and it says that you are, you could just go, alright, I kill all the evil gods, no more evil gods. Yeah, except he doesn't do that, because he's obsessed with balance like a neutral god would be. It's a little janky. Also, it's very much like, I really wanted to shove the Judeo-Christian god into here, but I couldn't find a place for him. Well, you know he does, because there's all these pictures of like Middle, uh, like, uh, middle Ages monks praying in the book and stuff. Oh, yeah. The book's kind of, the art style of the book is basically Renfair plus Dwarf. Like, there's a lot <laughs> so of... So Renfair? Yeah, well, except that, you know, it, it downplays the fantasy in exchange for that kind of realism of what the Middle Ages look like. There's a lot of people wearing that tunic with a flag on it, or that cone metal helmet with the chain mail coming out the sides. Yeah. All that stuff that makes armor from the Middle Ages look stupid. The stuff that when they draw D&D characters nowadays, they, they don't give them that because it looks dumb. Yeah. They're like, hey, you know what doesn't look good is armor that was used. Yeah, or tunics. Tunics don't look good on people. They always look bad, especially when they have that big flangy cross on them. <laughs> Those, <laughs> that looks dumb and you shouldn't wear it, except in this book where there's a lot of that. Yeah. Okay, so what I wanted to talk about, and we'll start this by mentioning one of the worst monsters that was ever in Dungeons & Dragons is the Rot Grub. If you don't know what the Rot Grub is... Here's the general rundown. The Rock Grub is a first edition monster. I think it shows up in other books as well, of course. But effectively, the way that the, the Rock Grub works is you're walking around as a, uh, as a D&D adventurer and you stick your hand into a treasure chest or something. And instead of getting nice treasure, you get Rock Grubs. And they, they, bur- <laughs> they burrow into your arm and they kill you in a D6 rounds unless you, like, cut your own hand off. There's no defenses. There's no saving throws. There's no interaction of any kind. It's just a, a monster that is designed to keep your players from doing anything. Like, oh, I'm not going to stick my hand in anything, or uh, everything I touch, I'll touch it with a sword first, forever. Oh, yeah, it is a paranoia monster. Yeah. This book has, like, seven of those out of, like, 30 monsters. It's mostly paranoia monsters. So there's two kinds of horrible, horrible death worms that don't attack you. They just immediately start killing you. Yeah, they just burrow into you, uh, and they both have ways to either 
surprise attack you, or just ignore your armor. Right, so one of them is the screw worm, which is rad. So screw worms just live underground. They are immediately under your feet all the time, and they can burrow right through your boots, don't even worry about it. Yep. And then when they do, they burrow into your flesh and... Go through your bones and then grow to the size of a basketball in your stomach before exploding you. Yep. And can you see them? No, they're underground. So, what do you do? Oh, you have to stay on stones all the time in this game, because if you don't stay on stones... Yeah, then the, screw worms. The, the, la- the, the ground is hot lava and you can't step on it. Meanwhile, there's another kind of worm called the ethereal worm, which is like the two foot long worm that can just phase in and out of existence. And so it uses that because it also wants to burrow into you and explode to uh, just phase right through your armor. Yep. Phases it, through any defense you have yep. and then just burrows There's into no you. defenses. It doesn't make an attack roll. It's just there's worms over there. Now you are dying. Okay. And then how can I get them out? Surgery. Oh, so when you burrow in, do they just phase out of existence? Oh, yeah, definitely. They don't, they don't, they don't, they stay there until you leave and then they come back. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is a system where you've got like, uh, does someone have a surgery skill? Sure. Why not? What happens then? Uh, he cuts you open and then the worm just phases and then you're, they're left looking at it going, all right, well, you're going to bleed out because this is the fucking Middle Ages and I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm basically a butcher. Yeah, and then just to finish it off, there is a cloud of bugs that devours your flesh. No attack rolls. It's just, are there bugs near you? You're taking massive, insane amounts of damage that strips all the flesh off you. What do you do about it? I guess if you create a spell that blows them up, but believe me, it doesn't show how you do damage to them. It doesn't say anything about them other than how their attack works. So any kind of mass dispersal bug spray spell is entirely between a gentleman's agreement between you and the game master. Yeah, much like everything else in the game, it is a, I don't know, you figure it out. Yeah. There's also a spider that bites you and turns the part of you it bites to crystals. And no reason for that. No reason. It doesn't say the spider eats crystals or, like, lays eggs in crystals. It just, what does it do? Well, it bites you and turns your skin to crystal. For what reason? Meh. How long does it last? Meh. (laughs) All these things. There's nothing. It doesn't tell you how long it lasts. It doesn't tell you if there's a cure for it. It doesn't tell you why the spider does it. It just tells you there's a thumbnail-sized spider that bites you and turns your hand to crystal. Hooray. And and also it says this is almost always a surprise attack because the spider is small and unassuming. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that the most dangerous monsters in this game are all little bugs. Yeah, it's, it's super weird to me because the monster section of this isn't super long. Like, he didn't pack this full of, like, hundreds of things. There's, what, like, 40, maybe? Yes, 35 to 40 monsters, yeah. Yeah, and so, when you look at it, you go, you dedicated this much page space to just random bugs and worms that kill you? Right. There's just clouds of bugs and little spiders and worms and, and, oh, and things that live in rivers that will snag you and pull you into rivers. So, basically, all most of the monsters in the book are like, don't go anywhere. Like, if you do, stay on stones, don't go near rivers, don't put your hands in anything, always wear big metal gloves. Oh, yeah, no, the, the fucking ogres are, or the ogrists. The, oh, yeah, ogrists. The ogrists are probably the least of your worries if you're out adventuring, because you're like, oh, what is that? Oh, it's a giant dude with a club. Oh, sweet Christ, thank you. It's well, not just something that will murder me immediately. You mean he actually has to roll an attack to do any damage to me? He doesn't just blow my stomach up? That's great. Yeah, I that's, am so happy to see him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just weird. Like, basically, you should never use any kind of monster like that in your game. It's just a fuck you to your players, it's just forcing paranoia out of them, and there's no interaction, and it's not heroic. No, there is no heroics that go on with, ah, we managed to kill the swarm of bugs. I feel like a big man now, because I have a can of Raid. 
Right. So, anyway, there's a lot of that in there. <sighs> yep. John. Yep. What's your favorite thing about Dark Earth Legends? Uh, Dark Earth Legends, probably the Dark Earth Mastery sidelines. Yeah. Uh, like we said, they're super nice and helpful. If all you did was go through, ignore everything else, and look for the black boxes that say Dark Earth Mastery, then it's actually somewhat decent advice. There are mastery sections for, like, your race and casting spells and stuff like that, and anytime there's a mastery section, it gives you things like, hey, when you're picking your race, don't try and worry about which one gives you the best bonus or which one has the coolest power. Make a character and try and follow along and decide what you want to play first. Okay, great, awesome advice. With the spell casting, they're like, all right, when you're making spells and you're doing stuff like that, don't try to just break the system Use your spells as an outlet for your own creativity. And you're like, all right, that's awesome, because you're trying to play to the strength of your system, which is you get to do whatever the hell you want. Awesome. As you look through the skill list, don't pay attention only to the magic, combat, and adventuring skills. Sure, everyone wants to load up their character with useful talents that will help them kill the monster and find the treasure, but there are many other skills, such as armor, poet, haggling, or brewing, that are just as useful, especially in a city setting. That sounds like someone trying to apologize for a tiny penis. (laughs) If you take a chance on one of these other skills, you may find that they can be as fun and worthwhile as the basic adventuring type skills. Of course, that's in that the confines of that little box. Outside the confines of the little box, you will encounter you'll immediately encounter that they force you to take armor, poet, brewing, and haggling over the sword spell skill. So don't even worry about whether or not you can. Oh, yeah. No, if you're playing in some guild or some whatever, they're like, oh, yeah, well, you have to take points into pottery because you're part of this thing. Yeah. Which, again, why most people would probably just end up being the, I belong to no guild or class, I'm just going to take points because then I get to put all of my points into beating the shit out of things. Or... Which will never save you from crystal spiders, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what would you say is your least favorite thing? Uh, least favorite thing is... You know, we didn't mention it in the beginning, but one of my favorite, least favorite things in this is it's (laughs) got all of the alpha testers and the beta testers and all the things in the credits, and, like, 90% of them have these little nicknames, so you're like, all right. So what was done here? Well, we had Paul shut up and die quietly, Davis. David kiss me or my axe, Mackie. Graham wear the explosives, Thornburn. Nick food, give me food, boil. Ugh. Dave, I want to be a troll, Bunder. Andrew, okay, so I died again, Belgard. And Grant, kill, kill. Sorry, Guildmaster Thorax. And it goes on. Your nickname is Kill Kill Sorry Guildmaster? Yeah. Like, at least some of them are like, what's this guy? Keese Jan Dutchman Coster. I'm like, alright. Dutchman sounds like a nickname you'd have. Dutchman's a nickname. If you can write it on the side of an F-14 pilot helmet, it's a nickname. If you if it's Kill Kill Sorry Guildmaster, you can't have that. That's not your nickname. Your nickname, I'm going to guess, is Nerd Bro. <laughs> yeah. When you're Mr. Cliche, great. That's a nickname you can have. Is it dead yet? Not a nickname you can have. No, no, no. Your nickname is Dorklinger. (laughs) So yeah, this is one of the best because it is just all over the place in the test group area. And it's so terrible. And it, it makes me love it 
for how bad it is. Yep. All right, so... Jeff, your favorite thing about Dark Earth Legends. <laughs> the leg ends. Uh, I really like the section of monsters outside of the evil killy automatic monsters. He did a good job of putting in a bunch of monsters that aren't just orc, you know, like, I, I know that there's probably one in there called a Grork that's, that's an orc <laughs> with a slightly different name, but there's a lot of really interesting kind of demon monsters and cool giants and trolls that are pulled from different sources from than the standard array of, of fantasy heartbreaker monsters. And I thought it was a good job for him. Yeah, as much as he just sort of uh, renamed a bunch of the races for his class builds, mm-hmm. uh, you did at least get some interesting stuff in the monster section that yeah. was unique. Yeah. So that's that's what I like. I like that he actually has an interesting... And, and that he has a bestiary in here at all. A lot of these little heartbreaker uh, softcover books don't have one. No, they just sort of expect you to create your own. Or which, given that the entire book for the rest of it was create your own... Yeah, that's true. Uh, a, a lot of them also expect that this is the first book of many. Yeah. That's that's so it's cute. so cute. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. So your least favorite thing in Dark Earth Legends. Well, you know, I kind of want to say it's the shit kill you monsters that are in here, but we talked about them so much... So I'm going to say that it's the uh, combat system. I really don't like that ultra-granular combat system. Like, if you look at the example of play, it's like, oh, uh, two guys and a zombie are fighting. But uh, the first round, the elf can't attack because the zombie has a spear, and the spear's got a range of two, and the sword has a range of one. So he has to infight instead of fight, and that means he has to step a, a step in towards the zombie. Now the zombie has an infight range of zero, and he needs to take a step back in order to swing with a spear. But he can't until turn three because of the obvious way that turn arrangements work. It's like, no, don't, don't make a... Combat should be a very simple flowchart. Oh, yeah. The, the... We didn't really get into it, but the amount of maneuvers and shit you can do during combat that then affects where you go in the next round, it's like, what happens? Well, I did an infight, so that means I'm gonna go right before whoever I infight through, which also puts me before anyone the guy I infight had before or after him... So if I want to go all the way to the top of the initiative, I just infight whoever was at the top of the initiative, and that puts me at the top. Yes. And then uh, there's moves where you're like, I do a thing, and I trip a guy, and then he goes to the bottom of the initiative. But if someone else trips a guy, then he goes to the bottom, which is the bottom of that bottom, so he's before the other guy. The other guy, oh, God. Yeah, it goes on like that. There's The, the, the uh, combat system's a little clunky. I mean, it should be simple, because it's just roll a d20 and add your skill and check against the defense value. But all the maneuvers you can make and all the initiative steps that, that exist make it a little too complicated. Yeah, the mostly the initiative order and the amount of maneuvers you can do yeah. make it so bookkeepy. Also, because of the fact that you can shove people down the initiative chart, it's very easy in this game to build a model of just stun-locking monsters. Yeah. Which is why you have to have all these worms that instantly kill you no matter what. Is because when you go up against Nogar, you can be like, I trip him. He goes to the bottom of the initiative step. What's the next thing I'm going to do? Trip him so he stays at the bottom of the initiative step. Like, forever. He's never going to get a swing. Yeah, the, the main issue being when you do the... Uh, the in-fight and whatnot, and you change your order, and you change someone else's order, and you do all that, eventually people are just going to forget what the fuck is going on and stop caring. And, and just go go in turn order. Yeah, you know, just be like, look, this is the order, just do it. Yeah, that's that's what happens with the other one that's got an overcomplicated system, which is, you know, uh, System Mastery House favorite 4th edition D&D has too janky of a combat initiative system. It just does. There's too many interrupts and stuff and things that move you around the order, so it's easy to get lost. Yeah. Once you get too lost in the initiative system, people just stop paying attention to it. But yeah. this has way worse. way too many maneuvers yeah. that 
only care about the initiative system, so as soon as you ignore that, you also ignore, like, 80% of the shit that you would be doing. Yeah. So would you play Dark Earth Legends? I I couldn't. No. Because I would... I would just try and make spellcasters useful, and they wouldn't be, and it would make me sad. Yeah, I could see you kind of diving into that system, because it's there, and it's a whole bunch of rules. Oh, yeah, because your only options are, I'm going to be a sword-swingy dude, or I'm going to be a spellcaster, essentially. Or you could be a living god, or... Well, yeah, but a living god is just, you're a spellcaster, and you still have to make up your own spells. Right. The Death Mask is one of my least favorites in terms of the, uh, the like, obvious Oh, but as, as a class, you get a poison kiss. Yeah, you get a poison kiss. You also get an eye gouge attack. But it's funny because a lot of their their abilities are just attacks that don't do anything unless you crit. Like, it's it's like, uh, I'd like to t- pull that guy's eyes out. All right, make an attack roll against him. What happens? Did you crit? No. Okay, do normal damage. Did you crit? Yes. Okay, you pull his eye out. Oh, yeah. Geez. So it's like, uh, great, great. A 1 in 20 chance for something to happen on my fun attack. Fun. We... And I have to declare it. Yep. Ugh. Anyway, so you wouldn't play this. So you... No, okay. I, I really couldn't. I mean, given that it's just sort of a kind of shittier version of D&D, I would just not... There's nothing in here that's unique enough or compelling enough to make me want to play it. Yeah, that's so, exactly what I would yeah. say. So, in, in response... Well, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, would you? Because, no, you wouldn't. No. And, and that's exactly why. There's nothing about this game that's different from any other game. He changed some of the names around, he erased some letters here and there, and he replaced the spell system with a choose-your-own-adventure block of build-your-own-spells, damn it. And it's they. It's written by a couple people. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I just... There's better games. There's no reason to play this. There's nothing about it that calls out for it to be played. No. Uh, even even the setting, which is it seems to be what they're selling this on, is we've got a really cool setting that we built. It's all these interesting city-states with all kinds of politics. It makes the world feel small, because it's like there's seven cities, and each one of them has one group of people living in it, and they all can get to each other. So it feels like it's a little tiny world that's not that that compelling. Every city's got kind of an obvious real-world parallel. Yeah. Eh, I just wouldn't play it. So, nah. there you go. I think we're done. It's a it's a universal meh yep. on Dark Earth Legends. Okay. Surprise. Who could have guessed? There you go. So, uh, thanks very much for listening. This has been System Mastery. Uh, sorry that we had kind of a dud this week, but don't worry, because in two weeks we're not only going to have a real exciting one for you, but we're going to have a guest in the, in the uh, room. So uh, that's going to make it a lot more interesting. So so tune in in two weeks. In the meantime, check us out at SystemMasteryPodcast.com or SystemMastery on Gmail, Twitter, Facebook. Or just leave comments below if you want to tell us about how wrong we were about this boring, boring book. Please feel free to upvote us on iTunes and Stitcher because we could really use the, the upvotes to make us more visible to other people so we can get more listeners. That's what we want, is lots and lots of people listening to our boring, boring rambling. Yes, and then soon we'll have enough listeners to take over the world. Fooled again by the atomic weight of gold. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so, uh, good night.